Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, and welcome to Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and USA Today Network. I am Graham Couch for the Lansing State Journal, here with my colleague Chris Solari from the Detroit Free Press. And it is Friday morning, um, the day before Michigan State basketball uh, hosts uh, Ohio State on a senior day that uh, may have a bunch of seniors introduced that aren't really seniors. So we'll... Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit. We'll talk about the wild week that was in terms of two games that, um, at least from a three quick takes perspective, were the worst two games of my life. Um, but uh, just bizarre finishes. Not bizarre. I mean, just – but to have what happened at Iowa happen in a minute and then the way that game flipped and the overwhelming offensive surge by Michigan State basketball at Nebraska was um, – was quite interesting so we'll uh we'll talk about all that chris how you doing man well I, i'm happy that someone else had to uh endure kind of what we had last night <clears throat> seeing the minnesota rutgers game so they uh you know kudos to the beat writers there that had to watch that unfurl in the last minute of that game was that not uh, the the most likeliest karma for rutgers that we've <laughs> that could have oh, happened <laughs> yeah i mean absolutely i mean it, you know, that's unbelievable, but completely believable at the same time. Yeah, no, and it, it just, uh, I mean, enormous loss for those guys. and might keep them out of the end. It, it, it's funny. Well, I was, it shows that Steve Peichel had genuine concern, but, yeah, you know, a quicker, more routine pace than Minnesota wouldn't have had as much time to prep, too. So, it and, also, and quite frankly, they had the game won. Like, you can't. If the Big Ten was not a player of the year thing, if the Big Ten was a, um, a MVP race, Moat Mag would have a really good argument for Rutgers because yeah. if you look at their eight and four with him with some really impressive wins, and they're in second place, the only team really challenging Purdue uh, with any shot as of the time they beat Michigan State. He tears up his knee. They're two and five since with a uh, double digit loss at home to a some uh, Nebraska and a loss at Minnesota. So, I mean, he, he certainly there are glue guys all over the Big Ten, but you see one with with, with them. Yeah, they um, survived that. They, I mean, they they built that lead in, at the Michigan State game before he got hurt. Yeah, and really sort kind of survived that. And you know, but you know, you knew right when he got hurt when you saw him go down, you knew it wasn't good. And his his defensive presence really, I think, was what they missed most. All right, so let's do 35, 40 minutes of Rutgers hoops, and we'll touch on Michigan State at the end. Yes. Um, I think that's what everybody's here for. Uh, no, so let's uh, – you know, I don't want to backtrack too much because, I, I you know, we're it's, – it's, it's the Friday before a game, and I think – but I, I do want to touch on the Iowa game and before we get to the Nebraska game just because it was such a – I mean, it was just unlike anything I've, I've covered. And, 
and I've covered some interesting and bizarre moments and rapid points. And, you know, also, I mean, I covered, I covered the freaking Mac for a while, man, you know, like drink if you're, if you're drinking this morning um, or whenever you're listening, but uh, you know, and, and weird things happen, but that was, and what was strange, I think for all of us, Chris, that is we were all writing these stories and because we assumed Michigan state was going to win really very late into that final minute, we're paying attention, but we're also writing because you, you got sort of these deadlines for these runners. And, yeah. and I, I had to go back and really watch it again. I did too. Uh, to really understand how things had gone wrong. And it was interesting because in the in the post game, other than like the foul decision to foul up three, you knew things had gone wrong. You kind of knew what had gone wrong, but you didn't have a comprehensive, you didn't have a grasp of it enough to really ask pointed questions like, wait a sec, what, what this or this or this play here that, you know, and, and um, I, I just remember thinking, sitting there going, yeah, I don't really have an understanding of yeah. how this went wrong. So, yeah. Fast. And it's funny because, you know, kind of the peek behind the curtain, when you have a game like that, where teams up 15 points, you know, 13 points in the last two minutes, by that point, you think the game's over, you start writing things as you believe them to be at that moment with just filling in some numbers here and there. Then all of a sudden Iowa hits one, then they hit two. And then you add in a little sentence, Iowa made a comeback, uh, but Michigan state held on. And then it, then it goes from there. And then all of a sudden the last minute happens and nothing you wrote matters anymore because everything that happened in a two minute stretch was all that mattered. And I mean, quite frankly, it was, I'm with you. I mean, it was surreal watching them because, I mean, it, it was almost video game like how Iowa was hitting those shots. But there were defensive breakdowns that I think were uncharacteristic of Michigan State, and a couple of those shots were challenged and and contested. But I mean, it, and then it basically the the fact that they couldn't keep Iowa's off the offensive glass, particularly Tony Perkins. He got two putbacks in overtime that were the, basically the game. Yeah, and that was that was partly Tyson Walker. I mean, that was what you know Perkins' yeah. quote was. You know, I mean, so that 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 was interesting too because one of the things I I did in that was I wanted to sort of show the shared blame, so I went and went back and sort of looked at each mistake. And even Walker, who was so good in so many ways in that game, you know, had had, had Tony Perkins saying, you know, telling a teammate just, um, you know go ahead and drive. I'll be there. This guy hasn't been cutting me out all game. And, uh, you know, I, I do think what was, what was interesting about that game was obviously it wasn't a traditional collapse in the way that you, you see four turnovers, five missed free throws. Yeah. They made most of their free throws except for one. They, uh, that, yeah, you feel bad for AJ Hogarth because he did everything in, in, in his power at that point to, to get them the win and, yeah, one missed free team, throw ends up being critical. The other team just hit five threes in forty seconds. Now they were not all that well defended. Some of them, and and there were issues there. And so Michigan State played its part in this. There's no doubt about it. Um, but the other it, thing it about, allowed it allowed Iowa to take them out of their defensive game and focus solely on offense at, at some point. So the other thing though was, and I think this was important and plays over in the Nebraska game is for 38 minutes though Michigan State offensively was the best it's been all season now it was some of that's making shots but they were making them a great clip and they look crisp and when you go 11 for 13 for three um, that's about as efficient as you'll get that's not a lot of threes taken that's a lot of threes made Uh, they were hitting you know 
from everywhere. They were just, they were really, really good on offense. And I know Iowa plays a small role in that. But what was interesting is it wasn't just this flash in the pan. They had scored 80 against Indiana. And the thought was there, well, it's a feel-good home game. It's the first game back since uh, the, the shooting on campus. And there's a lot of emotion. They played well. That was to be expected. That's That stuff happens. It's not totally real. Then they score a ton at Iowa. And it's like, well, that that's not, you know, it's Iowa. <laughs> Iowa scores a lot of points at home. You got to keep optional. Yep. And, but then in, Nebraska is a little bit better defensive club. And the second half, they score 54 points. And you see two straight second halves of more than 50 points. And you see a different level of oomph offensively than they've had all year. Three straight games at 80 after not reaching 80 in Big Ten play the whole way and barely reaching 70 in Big Ten play. And so I, I think that is what's 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 notable here is th- that there is something changing about them. It's not really all that much pace, um, but I think the one thing that we're seeing is part of it is, is Jay Nakins becoming a score, giving them another score. It becomes a little too much for teams to deal with when it's Walker, it's Hogard, uh, sorry, it's Walker, and it, it, it's Hauser, sorry. And now Aiken shooting from outside. It's, it's too much. And Hall hit a couple in that Nebraska game. What was interesting about the Nebraska game is I think how many people's, I mean, and, and justifiably so, how many people had sort of thought this team was just, I don't want to say giving up. That's not the wrong word. But they had sort of, um, it, it was they it was a character check moment. They were failing, certainly. And yeah. And it was going to ruin. And, and it didn't seem like, I mean, you've gotten off the mat so many times like Tom Izzo said, when you have something that's so demoralizing like that, regardless of how it transpired, even though you played 38 great minutes of basketball and defensively you disappeared for the next seven, um, you know, that's still that that can affect the team's psyche. And, you know, I you got to give a lot of credit to those veteran leaders because, I mean, they came out flat. I mean, not only flat, but they weren't. They weren't hitting shots, and that's why I think what's what's changed really since in back to that Rutgers game. I mean, quite honestly, you know, they scored fifty five points at the Garden. They weren't shooting the ball well. I mean, it was one of the worst shooting games, and they've they've followed that since then with a forty four percent game against Maryland, a forty nearly forty six percent game against Ohio State, a nearly a 47 and a half percent game against Michigan. So they've been shooting the ball really well in those games. And, you know, that's why this, the, when you saw that early start where they had 10 points in the first 10 minutes uh, at Nebraska, you started to think in those moments, you're like, Oh boy, maybe they, this team won't get off the map, but you got to give those veteran leaders a lot of credit because quite honestly, I mean, once they started seeing their shots fall, then the defense came in, uh, you know, and and everything kind of they looked like a complete team. Like yeah. for the last the last twenty to twenty five minutes of that game, they looked about as complete as they had in a while. Yeah, and 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 you're right. I mean, I think there was a, what looked like a lack of leadership in the first half, but they found it in time, and you could just tell even when they were still down ten with fourteen minutes to go, they were playing different. Um, Hogard had a you know went from having a miserable half to having an unbelievable half with ten assists and one. In one half, and then you know the the defense wasn't amazing, but Nebraska was at home hitting shots. But it, the layup line stopped at the rim, and that was the big, the big thing that changed. And they hit big threes, and they just what they did that it, 
they overwhelmed a team offensively, and we have not seen this team do that. We've seen them do it on the other end. They Like when they beat Ohio State on the road, their last double-digit road win, that was a, a – you know, I, I remember Chris Holtman just saying – I don't, can't remember if he said it was suffocating or whatever it was, but it was – he just said that defense was 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 too much, basically, and they couldn't figure a way around it, and they were impatient with it. And then this time it was – off, and, and I think that's important because you got to be able to, to do anything in March. You have to be able to beat teams in different ways. And you have to have enough guys rolling to, to, to you know, the, the old adage is three guys rolling, so to speak. And what when when you have Jaden Akins playing the way he is offensively, it gives you a greater chance on a given night to have that, to really have that extra guy. And, and, and I think that changes them. And especially for a team that doesn't get a lot of easy buckets at the rim, to have one more guy who's capable of giving you some punch up near 20 points, 15, 20 points as a shooter because um, you're relying on, on jump shots um, is, is important. And again, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll see where, whether it carries, carries and over. I, I, I think it's important too, to kind of point out that, I mean, there were some similarities in that Nebraska game too, where, you know, with about four minutes left, they're up seven. How are you going to, are you going to be able to close out? And Tyson Walker went on uh, basically a, you know, seven point run himself to base to close that game out in a minute little minute and a half span and you know that was that was a big moment because you know they were up they were all of a sudden up double digits with two minutes left and then defensively they they did the job they needed to against Nebraska that they didn't do against Iowa kind of helps that Iowa didn't you know that Nebraska didn't have that unconscious shooting streak but um, which and they were, well, the other you may never see again just, like that. They got just far enough against, up against yeah. uh, Nebraska that they did against Iowa, just kind of that three, four more points. that It wasn't the foul parade either. You know, it wasn't that long. It just sort of played out, and, and they had really taken control. It was only one point difference at the I guess two so, yeah. yeah, Yeah, you're Walker right. Hits, Walker hits a three, and they're up 14 with 2.02 to go, and they were up 13 with 2.03 to go when he hit the two of the three free throws. That that Iowa game, I mean, if he hits, if he hits, or excuse me, he hit three of the four free throws. If he hits the other technical free throw from the McCaffrey technical, that, you know, it's a the Hogard miss at the end was a moot point. I mean, there's, yeah. there, you're right though that that Iowa game, there wasn't a singular culprit that that was the problem in that, and I think the defense was the biggest culprit, if anything, and so that's a collective, um, but just as much. This was a collective effort down the stretch to put this game away, even with Walker getting that big run. Well, and also Iowa had that sort of a heat check three that cut it to like seven at one point. Like if that sort of play doesn't go in, you stop You stop fouling. You're like, okay, we're losing. And so when it does, and, and, and Nebraska didn't get that sort of shot, um, which is important, and then the, the ref didn't call the, the tech on Fran. Um, Kelly well, Fryer. I got to ask you about that because I do think, I mean, we obviously have since seen the uh, – the stare down with Kelly Pfeiffer that McCaffrey has, but I mean, it's clearly, we, we saw this a couple years ago at Iowa when they came out of halftime flat and McCaffrey immediately calls a timeout and just goes after a ref and gets a technical. If you're an opposing coach, don't you have to game plan for that? Cause that's a momentum thing. And it, it, I think McCaffrey keeps that in his back pocket to get the crowd into it, get his team back into it. And quite honestly, in those last two minutes, if they were going to get back into it, that was, he felt the only way to do it. I, 
I think, I I think he, it wasn't really a demonstrative technical at first. I think he was giving up though. I think he was he already had a tech. I think he was doing a um he was doing it to try to oh, I'm talking about I'm talking about the, the initial part of oh, it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That that yeah. No, I mean, you got awesome. you basically have to plan for Fran to 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 have a technical that's gonna incite the crowd at some point. Sure. No, he, no, and, they, and yeah, there's a science to it and, and it works even it, it's Sometimes at least, although, you know, for years they called it the Fran favorite in February for, for reason, but I, I think he should have been kicked out with the second T for showing up the ref. And then MSU probably, but I, I think the refs also kind of think you're not going to do this because we're not going to kick you out for a momentum swing. You know what I mean? You, you want to be kicked out in, until you actually do something beyond, I, I don't know. It's, it, I'd be, I'd be fascinated to hear Kelly Pfeiffer yeah. kind of break that down. Um, but here's the thing: why he didn't kick him out? Kelly Pfeiffer is not like he's a ref you can't really talk to a lot, he, or he hasn't in, in his career. He's been he's not he's been quick with tees. He's not he's not a guy you you know traditionally get away with that against. And that's why it was sort of it was sort of interesting. And, and, and so if he just calls that tech there, yeah, yes, Iowa did amazing things to win that game. Michigan State made some some real errors to lose it. Uh, however, if he calls that tech there, Michigan State wins by twelve. And our whole discussion is different. They may have beat Nebraska earlier better. They may have a three-game winning streak right now that people are going, huh. They may be pretty much set in the double bye as long as they beat Ohio State. And let's let's talk about that a little bit, too, because obviously that could change this weekend. But at least the timing of our podcast versus when all the other games are Sunday versus MSU Saturday allows that storyline to live a little longer. Yeah. It takes a lot, it you know, it takes a lot for uh Michigan State to get a double buy at this point because they don't have the Minnesota game. However, the one thing in terms of figuring it out is they also don't have a single tiebreaker because they're either a half game behind or a half game, but you know, which is, which is wonderful for people like us not yeah. to have to figure that stuff out. Although, although, uh, and you were a little late, Tommy still hasn't heard from the big 10 that that's how they're going to do it with win percentage. I mean, you, oh, it well, makes I, sense I, because that's what they've done for during the COVID year. So, but I mean, you would think that, and he was—he's got a point here. You know, it's the Thursday before the last regular season game, and you don't know how you're going to be seated if it's going to be based on win percentage. It's got to be win percentage. It's I mean, got to be. But I mean, what, 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 what would the other speaks to the larger issue of what he was complaining about in the first place about not having any communication from the Big Ten office on these things? Yeah, I mean, there should be communication, but it should also be assumed. Like win percentage is a pretty standard way of separating teams and is in every sport everywhere, pretty much unless you have points and they don't have points in the sport. What if you um, just took out everybody's uh, wins over Minnesota? Yeah. Well, that would be, that would be a, a fair way of doing it. Yeah. Yeah. You're, that, Michigan state might be the one seed, a uh, big 10 champs. Um, hold, 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 uh, hold, stop right there. Rutgers. So when I framed this up in the quick takes the other night, there were a lot of things that had to happen for MSU to wind up as a top four seed double by. And it was, but one of them, a couple of things last night started them on their way. And, and one of those was the Rutgers loss to Minnesota was not something I factored in. And now, um, so here is, here is. I, turned that, I, I seriously turned that game off with a minute left. Yeah. I was flipping back and forth between that and Michigan. And Michigan had just gone to overtime. And it was, they were up 10 with a minute left. And they were going back to the free throw line. And I'm like, flip back to the Michigan game. Then all of a sudden I started seeing reports. I, I saw, I finally saw that they were they won and I'm like what like that that graphic can't be right I go back I was talking about going back and watching an ending and a collapse that was a collapse that was an utter 
that if you want to talk about what a meltdown is or isn't, yeah, um, that was it. That was a complete meltdown. Michigan State had a meltdown with defensive issues at the end, but that was a total and complete meltdown by Nebraska or by Rutgers in that game against Minnesota. So there are so so Maryland also losing at Ohio State was a big one. So basically, um, and and props to Kyle Austin who I wrote about it. Kyle Austin laid it out in this tweet pretty well. Um, three of these four need to happen on a Sunday. Michigan State obviously needs to beat Ohio State. Nebraska beat Iowa, which is the least likely. Penn State beats Maryland. Um, Penn State's playing well again. That's a toss-up game. Purdue beats Illinois. Uh, you know that that probably more than not uh, more likely to happen than not. Although you know you never know. Uh, yeah, it, it, Purdue has nothing left to play for at this point, other than yep. In, in, in Illinois, I, Illinois, I don't think is, they're a one seed anymore. You know, well, but they could still get there. With still, yeah, if they have a run in the tournament, no, there's something to play for because you're right. They beat Illinois yeah. and then they 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 win the Big Ten tournament. That's, that's a Sunday. really good win if they do win that. And right, you don't even have to win the Big Ten tournament because the Big Ten doesn't. The Sunday game doesn't count for the NCAA tournament. Yeah. So second to the final, um, Rutgers, and then has to beat Northwestern. That that is is maybe as unlikely as anything right now. Although that's a home game. And you know it'll be senior day, and, and they'll have some juice. So the rack, need, the rack is a, is a tough place to play, a really tough place to play. They need three of those to happen. And I all think the Nebra- Nebraska teams. beating Iowa to me is the one where you're just kind of like, I don't see that happening. Right, but they don't need all of them, so they need three of them. That's they true. So, so that's that's so. It could, it, it, there, Michigan State could absolutely still be in play. What seemed very unlikely the other day, um, which again, karma would you know for. Not getting that game moved and and uh, getting an opportunity to, to have it, I think, would be um, uh, and uh, and you know that's of course what the other the other side of that is that could have been Michigan State taking that L. What's that? What do you mean? Oh, Minnesota. That they night? played yeah, Minnesota. But, I mean, eh, that was going to be in. Breslin I don't think night. so either. I mean, especially because Michigan State had already experienced that in the last minute or two. Well, and, and that game was in Minneapolis. This was this would have been in Breslin. True. Um, so very, that would have been true. that would have been a significant. significant Although I, I've never seen the barn so empty, I've never seen uh, Williams Arena was as dead as I've ever seen it. So I, because that's what I found interesting in those last couple minutes that I was watching before I turned it off with a minute left. It was like they have no energy in that building, which is usually a really loud environment with. And I'm like, how how do they even summon this up? And you know, that that that's uh, that might even be more impressive to me than what Iowa did against Michigan State. So let, let's talk a little bit about this Michigan State teams. You know what what we've seen and how it could potentially change who they are moving forward, regardless of you know seed here. And I, I do think there's still a chance at a six seed for Michigan State if they can beat. Ohio State and and uh, you know not lose right away in the Big Ten tournament. They, they, you know Michigan State people pointed out to me and they're right. It's traditionally been a seed worse than we think. True. And and um, I, I you but don't I do want to fall. That, you you basically don't want to be an eight nine. I right. mean that's that's what you don't want. But I also think a six would be pretty ideal. And and if you could because then you're not even facing a one, even though the ones aren't great this year. But a one until uh, you know later on. It, it, all the way in the lead eight, if you can, um, if you can, you can become a six. Obviously, you got to beat the eleven, which they could lose to based on things we've seen as well. Um, but I, I do think there's still a chance to get to a six if they beat Ohio State and win a game 
against a decent opponent at the Big Ten tournament on that that Thursday, which will still let's say they're still playing that Thursday or that Friday. Maybe it win both. They're not going to have to go that far to get to just a six because people forget the Iowa game is is frustrating as it was for people. They weren't expected to win that. That was that was a bad loss for the opportunity that was lost. Like yeah. If they win that game, that's a huge road win. Nobody else in the Big Ten has that road win uh, since December. Been seven straight uh, going into that game. Iowa would won at home. And that would have, I think, you know, with, that would have firmly prepared. They were already a six in some bracketologies you look for what those are worth. And I think that would have firmly put them on a six line, chasing something even higher. So they didn't lose anything there. The Nebraska game would have been the one that goes that that – that's one you that, that hurts you a little bit. Not not a ton because Nebraska's not awful this year, and it's a road game in terms of quad and all that stuff. But I I still think that this team, the way they're playing right now, the way their their capabilities of hitting shots, their capabilities of not overwhelming you offensively, and I think the addition of Jaden Akins to that scoring pool with two centers who, granted had a favorable matchup against Nebraska and some hasn't had the worst of matchups lately have sort of figured out who they are to this team. We're getting the best version of Madi Sissoko. That's not a great player, but it's a guy who's playing athletically. He's not lost his confidence. Uh, Cause that used to happen. He'd lose his confidence. He wouldn't be the athlete. He is. He wouldn't go up after things. He wouldn't be on the floor. He, he sort of, I think had a, a second wind here. The, the staff I believe has figured out how to quickly judge those centers against certain matchups when one certain don't work like against Iowa. Rabracha was just just torching, torching him over and over again. Yeah, Kohler had no shot, and they couldn't play him. But they realized it, and after four buckets, that's it. And Kohler yeah. didn't play, and so they know that's going to happen in certain games, and they're and they're and they're they're sort of ready for it. So I, I do think that um that they're at a place where they sort of understand, you know, they're able to recognize it pretty quickly. So I think this. I, is I'll tell you this: I think it was, it's just such a different dynamic of problems that Izzo's had to deal with. I, I don't. I mean, I don't think you've you've seen him have the the kind of problems in the paint like that. Where you, I mean, where you're just that depleted that you have to work around that, um, and have as much offense around that black hole in the in the paint, right? I mean, it's you know that's a, it's it's fascinating because usually it's inside out, right? This is a, this is or excuse me, this is an outside in team, yeah. And I mean, you know, you saw it, you see it when. Hogard gets to the basket, then you start to see the Kohler and and Sissoko offensive abilities a little more because there's more eyes, there's more eyes focused on AJ Hogard than there are in the other two, and he's got good vision to get them the ball. Um, but and I think and then that's been a problem as well. But you know, the keeping Hogard consistent like that because. I think that's something they identified as well is when he gets, you know, downhill into the paint, that helps offset some of the offensive liabilities that they have at the five. No, I, I, and I think that, you know, I I do think that the, the fact that they don't have guys who go in prolonged slumps, like the, the, Joey Hauser, when he, you know, a year ago, he missed some, shots and he just sort of disappear where he have two or three games like he can have a game where he's off but he keeps shooting and Tyson Walker is probably been the most consistent of those shooters uh, Aikens looks like he's with supreme confidence Hall even though he's not you know he, I think he sort of accepted what he's going to be this year is still I mean he hit shots in the last game that were big big important shots and and um 
And uh, they, they just you need know. what they need, though, is Hogard to be, you know, it's a single elimination world in college basketball. And they can't afford too many missteps from him. But if he's really good, they, they become a they become a tough, tough out. Let's talk about, you know, before you, but before we jump with that, you mentioned about Hall being what he is. What's coincided with those 80 to 100 point games that they've had? It's Malik Hall scoring in double digits the last four. That's, I mean, it, you know, it, it, that's a, a big piece that they have not had. Um, and, you know, again, with him and Akins, you know, you've got guys who can create from the wing. And, you know, if Hall can, you know, continue to build on the consistency, and I think that's been his issue, you know, since coming back the second time. If he can continue to do that, um, that allows everybody else. I mean, because he's, he's the fourth scorer, right? I mean, you got the other three with Walker, Hauser, and and Akins. Now Malik Hall can become the. I mean, who early in the year was the primary was a primary scorer. I mean, that's a f- heck of a four option right there to, to to give you some offensive firepower. When I think when he first came back, he was thinking, "I've got to return to be that guy," and now he's sort of fitting in the offense yeah. and taking it as they come, and they, he feels like they've got enough. And 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 I think, and I let this spins to the next thing. I mean, I think he's coming back. And I've always thought he's coming back. And I know he's walking uh, as part of senior day ceremonies and everything. But like I, I, I think I think he's coming back, which I think is huge for next year's team because he's the sort of veteran. Uh, he's better than a glue player, but you know what I mean, glue piece in that four spot with a lot of young guys at other spots potentially, and some veterans as well. But I think too. I think he's coming back. Yeah. What he's makes this an, leader? Yeah, well, and what and makes this an interesting leader. senior day is that. Outside of Joey Hauser, who's actually not walking because he did a year ago, uh, and I don't think Hauser's coming back. But the the um, and he would he, he has would the walk. option. He, well, well, he would we have to apply for some stuff, right? But he, he's I from what I understand, he's not he's not. It, it would surprise me if he came back, but he does have the option to get that year back when he left high school early because um, he was hurt his senior yep. year in high school and early enrolled in, in which you don't usually see in college basketball but he enrolled in January and because he was already out with an injury and just took advantage of the Marquette training and rehab program which you know in a lot of ways is smart um and I believe he's already going to have his master's after this semester as well so yeah. you know guys that you get to that point you know unless you're going for a doctorate you know, you know, he's the he, best NBA prospect on the team too. He's going to get a look. He may be a second round pick. Yeah. I mean, he's he's a guy who who fits the NBA because what you want to be in the NBA is a master of something and not a jack of all trades. You don't want to. I mean, Malik Hall's biggest problem, other than his his limited size, is he's got a great array of skills and he's been injured and he hasn't developed anything truly, truly consistently. To but you know you're better off at the next level being Bryn Forbes that does one thing incredibly well and hit shots. Uh, and does the other things well enough to hang on the court? And I, Hauser, as a shooter, you know, has a chance. I think his brother being in the league will will make people, um, you know, give him a look. I, and and just from what I've heard, he, he's going to get a look. And he, I, I just, I don't think he's planning to come back. Except this has been a great senior year. Sometimes it's sort of like Xavier yeah. Tillman as a junior. You have your moment in college basketball. He has been really good, stemming from the end of last year. He's sort of changed his whole story arc at Michigan State. I think, you know, this is a, it's a good time. And and there's you know, teams have to change year to year too, and 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 um, now I know they're bringing in enough new guys that it would. And, and frankly, here's the other thing: everybody talks about oh, they should have added an extra transfer, and maybe they could have with a one year guy, one year only. But if I don't believe Hauser could come back next year, and Walker 
and Hall, I'd have to do the numbers, and, and they might be over the scholarship number if they did that. I think the only two of them could come back um, to uh, fit under the uh, the scholarships if nobody else left or anything like that. Now, Walker, it's interesting. The fact that it's unclear with him, I find – like I've thought all along Hall's coming back. I would I would I would stake um I would uh, Chris I'll buy you a pizza if he doesn't like that's what I think that's how much I think I don't need any more pizza after that one that we had in Iowa okay fair enough um the uh shout out to Matt McQuaid yeah yeah Tyson Walker is the one who surprised me a little bit and I look I I think NIL probably has something to do with this for a couple of these guys I think there's money that you know we don't really have a firm grasp of these guys are making um and the but but it is interesting because he's had a great year too and he's had a year as a featured guy and i don't know how much more there is for him to do at the college level i mean don't get me wrong he's a a wonderful player and helps michigan state tremendously i do think if he comes back the dynamic gets you know i mean if you have a walker hogard akins trio that's a hard trio to track and Jeremy Fears Jr., I think, probably thinks he's a day-one starter. I think people there thought he'd be a day-one starter, probably playing him next to Hogard, even though he's a point guard. You don't have a freshman at, at, at point, and that, that's probably better in a Tom Izzo system. But I, that's, that's, that would be delicate politically, I think, to, to, to have to, to, to deal with that a little bit. I, I think that would, be, that would be interesting to see how they would. Um, and uh, so I don't know if that'll play a role, too, in, 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 in things. But Walker coming back, like, I mean, with the young players they have, and, and if, if Hall comes back, I think he would. Uh, that's all of a sudden that lineup next year uh, because it's this, you know, if you can get old in college basketball and have and get really old in ways you won't be able to in years to come because yeah. of the uh, the five the extra year, and then also have you know talented blue chippers coming in. That's that's as good as it gets. Which I think is really interesting for the Hauser situation. Obviously, you know, you mentioned the NIL money. I mean, that's that's the thing is if if Let's say that, you know, the scouts aren't totally enamored with him at and at, at the league. Do you want to go take your chance of playing in the G League or go overseas? Or do you come back and, you know, take the the NIL money if it's enough, if there's enough there, and try and win a national title? Maybe. I mean, I think Jason Whitens is an interesting guy in that respect because he's already had two medicals and he would he you know he's another guy that's going to walk as a senior but he's got a chance to come back for a sixth year um you know two years out from from his injury and it's a guy that that started at the mac level so i mean you know you're not talking about a a guy that's going to be a starter or 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 even maybe a, a key rotation guy but it's the depth, you know, it's a depth piece that they don't have this year that they can, you know, bankroll a little bit in, in moments that you need them for, you know, two, three minutes stretches. So, and he would be two years out post-op from the, the latest injury, which would change how well he's played. But I, I think that, you know, think about that. I mean, you could have two six-year guys, you know, and two fifth-year guys. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you'd never seen that in college basketball. That's the opposite of the one and done. It's the complete opposite of what one and done was like for so long. And I think college coaches have, I don't want to say embraced that, but I think they see the benefits of maximizing what those COVID years have done to enhance age, size, strength, you know, that you can't get with the one and dones. Well, and even, um, you know, I, 
even once this this five year deal is over in a couple of years where guys no longer will have that option, I think the 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 book is out that it's better to be older in college basketball as it was mostly throughout time. Although there have been some years where the you know these sort of the one and done generation of real top end guys helped drive some national championships, but it's been a while since that's happened. And the one time transfer rule, you get a lot of veterans moving to teams, and 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 but I do think Michigan State's in a spot where almost ideal at the time of this extra year where you have a lot of really good college players who aren't great pro prospects and that's ideal for winning in, the, in, in you know like Cassius Winston best example of this ever who's the you know who would you rather have two years of Miles Bridges four years of Cassius Winston Cassius Winston like when you are recruiting in college basketball Cassius Winston is the ideal recruit not Miles Bridges and so that is the thing you have to remember this isn't the NBA this is and and so I do think that all that stuff's like I think there's almost no chance Hauser's back, but I do think Whitens and Whitens they're going to have a lot more depth next year, so he'd probably have even less of a chance of having a role. Although there's usually a guy like him when they're in their their tournament out in Thanksgiving somewhere, Portland yeah. or wherever it is that, that has a big and those weekend. Are, those are important minutes if you get them. You know, I yeah. mean, because you know if you've got a, an experienced guy that can do that versus. Uh, you know, uh, say a sophomore walk on. I mean, that's that's a significant difference. You know, I mean, think about Kenny Goins for a minute. For a minute, you know, remember when yep, they were yeah. completed at center that year? You know, uh, they played an undersized six six guy, and I think he got fourteen rebounds at Louisville. Maybe Is that was it. That game that that he kind of came in, and everyone was like, "What? Where'd this guy come from?" So I mean, yeah, sometimes yeah. you can catch lightning in a bottle, but sometimes it's just simply that you need an extra body. That, that can be serviceable for however many minutes it is, two, three, five, not every game, you know, you know, in spot situations. So if Jayton, if Jason Whitens is lightning in a bottle, I will buy you another pizza. I don't, I don't, I don't he is not, I would, I would, I would, would it be something if the sixth year guy comes in and all of a sudden scores like 16 a game? It, it would be, it would be something. It, yeah. It, it would it would not happen, but better better I mean, chance. That, that's your that's your dream sequence, right? I mean, you come back for your twenty your twenty third year, um, for your final year of eligibility, and you use your old man game to to light it up. Equal chance that I run a marathon tomorrow, um, <laughs> but it's just while eating a donut, which the second part is actually probably more likely. That would be an incredible athletic feat all the way around. <laughs> yeah. Hanging on to the same donut for 26 miles. So that that's going to be an interesting story to watch here, and it comes front and center because it's senior day, and people are going to start wondering. And and, and uh, you detailed this, and 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 um, I think it's um, and you detailed this. Stephen Izzo is coming back. Speaking of walk-ons who might be lightning in a bottle. Yeah, that there's another. Yeah, he, he's a uh, um, and, and you know, and it, that lines up with his master's degree program too, with with one more year. So that. That fits him. Um, Ohio State. I will. I will say that's actually a great point, and I, I, I gotta make this a, a point abundantly clear because I think it's fantastic to see guys taking advantage of extra years and staying in school and doing those things and getting extra degrees. I think that's, you know, if there's anything that the COVID year helps with, I think that's fantastic because these guys can now get a year of college, Stephen Izzo is obviously in a, on Tom Izzo plan, so it's a little different, but, you know, guys like Malik Hall and Joey Hauser, um, you know, they're going, and Jason Whitens, they, they're getting their master's degree. I mean, you know, f- five, six years ago, guys weren't able to do that, and now it's a thing, and I mean, 
in, in the era of NIL and COVID extra years, that's, I think, one plus, I think, that's come out of it. So Ohio State, last time they played them, obviously, Ohio State was a little different team. Zed Key's been shut down for the year. Yeah. Um, the, uh, I, I, you know. That, that, I mean, that actually is a big help for Michigan State. And I do think the Michigan, I do think Ohio State is look. They played well in the last game. They, the last two games, they won by double digits, both at home. So a team that I thought had given up and quit has not. And I think that's important for Ohio State. I still find it hard to believe they're going to come into Breslin. They've not looked like a team that's all that well connected, uh, but they probably believe a little more than they have before. Uh, I think the key for Michigan State is to not let them find confidence, to not diddle around, to get out and have one of those home game starts where you get up thirteen four. And you're, you're, you know, the other team doesn't, you know, doesn't find the confidence and belief because uh, we've seen Ohio State teams over the years give Michigan State problems in this last game that's often at Breslin. We've seen t- lesser teams in Michigan State at times have moments where all of a sudden they they figure out they can play with them, and then then it's a, a game. And so I, I think that that's especially really because game. spring break starts and students won't be there, that changes the dynamic sometimes in Breslin. Well, and students will still be there for this, though. This is still a student ticket, right? The Saturday. I game. mean, it's still a student ticket, but if you got a spring break plans, odds are, especially after the past month, you're gonna want to get the hell out. Well, that's fair because that, now you make me sound like a jerk for the point I was gonna make. But if you <laughs> have a if you have a, a season ticket, like people care about their team, they always say, "Well, you know, I w- what do you do to help your team?" If you are a student in the Izzo, now there will have enough people there to be packed, and you can't stick around till noon on Saturday to begin your spring break. And your team loses, and the atmosphere stinks. Uh, you you can't complain about your team the rest of the way. Like st- stick it through Saturday. That said, I I certainly understand if somebody wants to duck out. I think the crowd will be fine. I think it'll be. Um, but I used to when I covered the MAC, by the way, and again drink when uh, I, I I used to have this debate all the time. with like uh, Central and Western had this issue where they would play these games late in the year, um, on spring break week often. And it really impacted their crowd and their students. And and I used to say, look, if you want to be a serious basketball league, a serious sports league, and they all did, they were chasing money in the MAC. So that stuff mattered. You're, you're fighting an uphill battle. Fix your academic calendar, man. Like, it's pretty easy. Just do spring break a week later. Have it so they can travel to the conference tournament if they want to. Like, make that your spring break. Don't do it on the that final is, week. Well, but that's the thing is that is next week, and they've got their spring break next week. But the kids get out of town on Friday. You know, when classes are done, no one's sticking around when they don't have classes. That's a kid problem. Kids are stupid. What are you going to do? Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, speaking, of, speaking of the Mac, I wanted to to throw this out there before we wrap. Um, I don't know if you saw the Antoine Davis situation last night. He ends up he's challenging Pistol Pete's record, misses a three at basically at the buzzer that would have tied it. But did you see the aftermath at, at Youngstown State? Where I, I did not see, no. In the handshake yeah. line, there was a Youngstown State player who was chirping at him, and they had to drag Antoine Davis off the court. I mean, it was it was a bad look for the Youngstown State people. Um, you know, Davis was obviously frustrated, and from what I understand, because there was close video from one of the Youngstown TV stations, um, the guy basically told him, he says, I should have been the player of the year, and mm-hmm. bumped into him and shoulder bumped him, and then there was a lot of dragging and the Youngstown state fans were throwing food from the stands and beer. It was, it was, it was a pretty ugly scene and weird way for that to kind of come to an end, unless somehow UAD gets like a CBI invite just which, to which throw could happen. Cause 
The CBI, yeah. the thing is, the CBI is not a merit-based uh, tournament. It is a complete pay-your-way-in. And so if Detroit hey. decides they want him to have the Maravich record and the scoring record all time, they, they can they can pay their way in. He will be a good marketing yeah. tool. And, and the tournament would have eyeballs for once. Yeah, I learned that early on that it's not a it's not a those those CBI and CIT are not merit based. They are to some degree. You have to be you can't be zero and thirty. But what I mean is, you have to be willing to pay to host home games and all sorts of things. And 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 um, they're just they're not to that degree. They probably shouldn't count for things. I'm a little torn on it because you know Davis did it in two more years or is doing it in two more years in Maravich with a three point line. Like yep. it's like I don't know that I, I that it should actually be be broken. Yeah, I mean, you know, you, you people forget about the fact that he was a freshman. I think I saw something like Maravich. If you you throw in Maravich's freshman team stats, he wouldn't even come close. It was like four hundred seventy more points. So am I? Am I the only basketball nerd junkie though? Like I like we go back to what we said before. The kids get out of town. I know they go to Fort Lauderdale. You know whatever they do. But like I like to me, is there a better road trip week? Like I can't imagine enjoying something more than a conference tournament on spring break. Like how awesome that would be. Like you got the week off. I'm going to go watch my school play and I'm going to sit around and watch hoops and in a cool town. And like that to me is, I understand people to get warm. I, I just, I got to imagine that's appealing for some kids. If I'm missing that, like I can't, if I'm standing around all year at the, at the and I'm invested in my team to get there early, to be in the is zone, to do all that. When I think Chicago, the first week of March, second week of March, Watching a bunch of hoops would be amazing. I mean, I don't know. There's, it's, it's well, my 25 own. years ago, as a matter of fact, I did go to Chicago in spring break 1998. There you go. Um, so I'm just gonna say Louisiana. Yeah. yeah. And and I mean, obviously, Chicago is a different thing. I mean, you know, it, it. I think a lot of it depends if you've got a free place to stay. Um, you know, college kids. You know, the the income level has changed maybe a little bit more in the last 25 years uh family income level and you know individual stuff you know whether it be credit cards or whatever else kids seem to have more of things these days to allow them to to bankroll stuff like that but based on based on the number of kids who ubered a class with phil friend um <laughs> they certainly have more resources than uh than they used to so drink at home if you have the Phil Friend reference on your bingo card. <laughs> um, all right. Well, we will be back next week, uh, pre-Big Ten tournament to talk about that and where Michigan State is and take another snapshot of the postseason. And uh, we'll have coverage, obviously, from Sunday's game uh, um, against Ohio State. For Chris Solari and the Detroit Free Press, for myself, the Lansing State Journal for USA Today Network, uh, and for our silent partner, Phil Friend, uh, we appreciate you. Uh, rate subscribe whatever they they say you do there with this podcast if, if you like it throw fruit if you don't um and we will talk to you next week just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, 
freep.com or wherever you get your podcasts.